All right, everyone. Hope you are doing well. Welcome back to the second episode now of the Brawn Brain podcast. Uh, obviously, myself, Kev Gomez here with my friend Ben Stanners. As promised last time, this is obviously the first installment of our kind of education series. We're going to be kicking things off with a look into the fundamentals of training. Uh, obviously, a couple of disclaimers to get out of the way first. Number one, we are not medical professionals, so just consider this training advice. Uh, and then number two, obviously, this is more so a bodybuilding kind of related podcast. So obviously, the focus here is going to be on training for hypertrophy. So if you're looking to kind of maximize muscle building, then this is kind of where you want to be uh, if you're wanting to kind of consider some stuff about your training. Uh, if you're kind of more interested in powerlifting and other strength sports, then by all means, follow the podcast anyway and subscribe and share and stuff because we do have some cool plans for guests that we want to get on in the future yeah. to kind of teach you more about that. Um, but for the time being, uh, I mean, by all means, stay and listen anyway. That'd be really cool. Uh, and we've had some good response so far. So thank you for that. Uh, but this is mainly kind of looking at training for the purposes of bodybuilding and maximizing muscle gain. Uh, I think a good kind of segue into things right off the bat is therefore the idea that there are kind of different outcomes and adaptations that we can kind of seek from our training. So Ben, perhaps you want to kind of get started on the ideas of outcome and adaptation and stimuli from our training. Yeah, of course. Uh, so first of all, I just want to say that hypertrophy work is actually useful for powerlifters. So yes, do stick around because you will get something from this. I can promise you that. Um, yeah, so... There's multiple different reasons why you might want to train. There's multiple different outcomes and adaptations you can achieve from your training. It all depends on what you do with your training. You know, it's that, uh, as we referred to in that first Fitbit episode, it is specificity. What are you trying to achieve? How do you get there? So obviously, you know, um, when it comes to training, you could, you could train for power. You could train for strength. You could train for hypertrophy. You could train for conditioning. You could train for endurance. You could train for a specific sport. Many different things you can do. Again, it just depends on what you want to achieve. So there are three main, I guess you could say, stimuluses for when you're in the gym. Um, and that would be, uh, you know, uh, more of a, a neurological stimulus, a hypertrophy stimulus, or a metabolic stimulus. Um, now there is crossover. So you can get like a neuromuscular stimulus as well or you can get a hypertrophic metabolic stimulus. Cool, so there is definitely crossover, and that's that's probably quite important to remember. Um, now, looking specifically at hypertrophy, you know, the, if you're trying to train for hypertrophy, then actually, to be fair, I would still argue that you probably need to achieve all three symptoms, not, in one, not at once. Um, so if you do it once, that's what you call the kitchen sink approach, which is not a good idea because, it's, yeah. you know, again, you, you're giving the, your body multiple signals. You're trying to adapt to multiple things at once. It's not a good idea. So this is where you obviously, you know, long-term periodization comes in. Uh, so you can train these different stimuluses, you know, throughout a given period of time, whether that be a couple of months or a year. A, a year is a good number. I like to work off. Um, again, if you're going to long-term periodize, then a year is a very good number. It's just, you know, easy to work off. Um, but so, yeah, for hypertrophy, it's important to work through all three of these different stimuluses. So, for example, you know, if you want to get strong, and going for more of a neurological stimulus is important, but it's not just important for getting strong. It's also important for learning proper movement patterns and proper execution. Uh, it also comes with the benefit of things like coordination as well, which very much integrates into that. But the reason why that's beneficial is because, you know, if you start by teaching yourself 
proper form, proper movement patterns. When you move into a more of a quote-unquote hypertrophy style of training, then your form's going to be much better, which means you can have way more muscular tension. You'll be way more efficient in your movement, uh, which means essentially you will be able to lift more. If you lift more, then, you know, typically those who are stronger do have this denser, thicker look. Now, there isn't much sort of in the research as to why that is, but anecdotally, that undoubtedly that is the case. Um, so lifting more is a good thing. Getting strong is a good thing. So obviously, you know, uh, again, um, you know, lifting in this more of a neurological phase, you're probably not going to gain that much muscle by doing that. But it's this key ability to think long-term and realizing how that can then benefit you when you are in a hypertrophy phase. Now, the next phase is more of a, a metabolic phase. Now, there's arguments around this. There's definitely arguments around whether this actually does itself achieve a hypertrophic stimulus or not. So the theory is basically you get a, a huge metabolite buildup, which basically signals for certain growth factors to, you know, signal hypertrophy. But there's arguments that actually that all metabolic stimulus is, is just a continuation on of a, um, of a muscular tension style of training. So it's just a lot of tension in one go. I can see that. I can agree with that. Um, but again, looking outside of hypertrophy directly, let's ask ourselves, how can it indirectly help with hypertrophy? hypertrophy? Um, so again, realistically, looking at you know specificity and training variables and outcomes, metabolic work is really going to help with conditioning. If you have better conditioning, uh, it, you can essentially go for longer and for harder. So what's that going to mean? It's going to mean the effort and intensity can both be higher, which is going to result in better muscle gain. So again, there's these direct and indirect, uh, I guess you could say, mechanisms to hypertrophy. And that's why it's important to actually train these different stimuli. Again, not at once, not all at once, but you know, in a periodized way. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that was a really good look at it. Kind of the the consideration of periodizing these things long term is something that a lot of people don't think about because, as you touched on there, the idea of trying to kind of throw all these signals at your body at once is potentially not the best idea. And we'll kind of go into this in more the advanced section um, mm -hmm. when we kind of consider the idea of trainability a bit more because I think even though that is an important concept in the beginning, that isn't necessarily something you need to understand if you understand kind of the principles of, of trainability, uh, you will be able to kind of adapt to all of these things. Uh, so for now, it's probably just worth, worth kind of looking at what these stimuli are and perhaps only later on you need to understand why it's perhaps not the, the best idea to mix them. But as you rightly touched on there, we can kind of look at, even though perhaps some of these other outcomes aren't directly contributing to hypertrophy, particularly kind of looking at the, the metabolic side of things where there is a lot of kind of debate. Uh, I know, I know uh, Chris Beardsley on, on Instagram has kind of touched on, on a few of these ideas, uh, but the idea of kind of if, if metabolic work is just kind of allowing you to kind of reap the benefits of those metabolic adaptations and if that is indirectly kind of having a a better impact on, on your ability to kind of train for hypertrophy and kind of the impact of, of, you know, working on these different outcomes can have on the different phases of your training as you periodize them. Um, uh, even, even if we look at things like if we consider like how, how, how these kind of adaptations occur, if we look at things like, you know, uptake of, of nutrients and kind of how, you know, metabolic work and uh, how, how we utilize glucose and stuff, um, 
if you, if people want to kind of go really read into this, it'll make sense why this all works in the way it does. Uh, but the key kind of point to take away from this kind of summing up everything that was said there is that we have different training outcomes. We can, you know, periodize these to at least, at the very least, indirectly uh, contribute to, to hypertrophy. So it is worth having all of these in your training, even if it's not at the same time. Uh, again, uh, going back to kind of your idea of kind of getting stronger and perhaps kind of more neuromuscular kind of adaptations, uh, even even though if perhaps the, the look you touched on being kind of more dense and grainy on those who are stronger, to a degree, obviously, the, the literature just supports the idea of, you know, mechanical tension being a driver of hypertrophy, which we'll get into in a moment. Uh, yeah. And therefore, we can kind of interpret that just based on those ideas in, in the research, um, those who are stronger are generally going to, to have more muscle from that point of view. So I guess that kind of can segue nicely into therefore, uh, you know, what are we actually doing to kind of stimulate hypertrophy as an outcome from our, our training and what, what is actually, Christ, what is, uh, you know, what is going to cause hypertrophy? Um, so I think this is probably a good chance to get, to get into kind of the three mechanisms and if those three mechanisms are actually <laughs> mechanisms. So I uh, don't, know, don't know if you want to, to get started on that or yeah um okay so yes there are supposedly three mechanisms which um brad schoenfeld has wrote a good paper on um i think that's what, however, what really kind of popularized that that theory is yeah ha however the reason why i can say you know if there really are three mechanisms well basically three mechanisms are um muscle damage mechanical tension and a metabolic um uh uh, basically met a metabolite buildup mm -hmm. but but there's the argument that actually they're all the same thing in a sense that muscle damage just comes from a lot of mechanical tension and a metabolite buildup comes from a lot of mechanical tension <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the the question really is is you know is there really three mechanisms of hypertrophy or is it just the same thing being achieved in a slightly different way uh, and that's actually kind of useful to understand because it, it means that when you're in the gym, you know, you just need to achieve enough mechanical tension to create the stimulus that you're after, and therefore you'll get the, the muscle gain that you want. Um, so, you know, it's, again, that's useful because it, it just means when it comes to your, your training, you're not going to be chasing the wrong thing. You're just going to know, right, okay, so I need to keep some sort of tension. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, constant tension either because it's not quite the same thing. So it doesn't mean, you know, doing like partial reps or whatever to, to always keep the tension on the muscle. It just means throughout a given rep, throughout a given set, um, throughout a given session, you just need to achieve enough tension going for the muscle. Uh, yeah, enough cumulative tension going for the muscle. Ideally, um, throughout the different ranges of the uh the muscle itself meaning you know in that shortened position in that mid-range and in that lengthened position mm -hmm. achieve that throughout a given session and you you probably will achieve hypertrophy or at least the, the signal for hypertrophy uh, obviously you know you've got the recovery factor and stuff as well yeah. um so yeah i think it's important to realize that again because they're not really they are all very integrated um that again as long as you're achieving enough tension in a given session then you, you you'll get what you're after and that's that's important to remember 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, kind of by the looks of the way the, the current body of literature is going, it does seem evident at this point that the key driver of hypertrophy is mechanical tension. So even Not kind volume. of... Yeah, well, well, we'll we'll get to that, and kind of we could we could obviously the the idea that more tension is better is one thing that will kind of come into the to the whole volume debate because we understand that therefore if more mechanical tension is going to equal more hypertrophy, then that will bring us into the realms of is more volume more tension and kind of some of the little caveats that we'll mm. get to in in training programming because I think that you know. It, I think that kind of brings a good way to sum up training is train hard, get strong, and then be able to recover to facilitate repeating all of that consistently to, you know, over time, you know, consistently stimulate hypertrophy to the point where you get, you know, a lot of muscle on your physique. Uh, but obviously yeah. when we then look into kind of the training variables, which is kind of the next thing we'll, we'll look at, it's then kind of weighing up and how we balance these in your training program to ensure that, we're stimulating what we want and that we are actually recovering and not just pounding ourselves away so that we can actually do it again consistently. Um, but with that being said, uh, obviously kind of as mentioned, then we can already consider kind of mechanical tension being one of the more important aspects of our training, which will come in handy when later on we talk about progressive overload, um, but also can again get us thinking about those ideas of metabolic stress and, and muscle damage also being potentially, you know, more, maybe a little more contributing than direct uh, as directly contributing as, as something like mechanical tension. Uh, but that then also kind of links back into the idea of different outcomes and potential kind of more metabolic and, and neuromuscular work. Um, so hopefully that kind of starts piecing together why this is all a, a, a bit of a puzzle to, to be figured out. And even though we'll go more in depth on kind of then again kind of the idea of trainability and stimuli in the advanced section this kind of gives a, a broader idea of what we're looking for in regards to training for for hypertrophy so i think with kind of the the basics of of outcomes and stimuli stimuli out the way and how we're actually going to train for hypertrophy uh perhaps you now want to kind of start on the ideas of different variables we can control in our training so things like what is volume what is intensity what is frequency um so i don't know if, if you want to start on that or if i, uh, if I should just keep going or yeah yeah so volume is an interesting one because you could argue there's different variations of volume um so volume you could say is the you know the total number of sets in a given training session or you could say it's the total number of sets across a week you could uh, say volume is, you could even say volume is the rep range you're going for because, you know, obviously a 20 rep range is higher volume than a five rep range. Uh, so volume is an, is an interesting one, but the best way to look at volume is just the total accumulative volume. So everything added together. Um, again, that still can change a little bit when you look at it across um, a session versus a week. So this is where like programming, you might have like, um, programming uh, micro cycles uh, which basically means you know one one rotation of a, a given cycle so you might do like say for example if you were doing a lower upper split you might do a lower one uh, upper one a lower two and upper two that's one micro cycle and then you can look at volume across that micro cycle that's probably again the easiest way to look at it when you're programming because it just keeps things simple mm -hmm. so volume is just the total workload done across a session or a week or a micro cycle um, 
frequency is you know literally in the name is how often you do a certain session or a certain movement um, again for simplicity we'll just go with a certain session uh, although that uh, that very much again depending on what you're programming for can change uh, for example again looking at more maybe say if you were trained for strength or powerlifting specifically you could say frequency is how often you squat versus how often you do a leg session mm -hmm. um, so again for the purpose of hypertrophy we'll look at it, uh, how often you do a certain session um then you have effort and intensity which are not the same thing so effort is just again in the name how hard you are working intensity refers to the amount of load uh, let's just say on the bar uh you also have i feel like i'm missing a key one here um well uh, i'll i'll, I'll jump in the means I, i'll jump in the meantime while, while you try to it's kind of uh, uh, uh yeah uh, I feel I feel like you are, but I'll, I'll let you think about that. <laughs> I kind of going, think what it is going back to just kind of summing up and definitions, just kind of mm. get a, a place that we can all move forward from. I think it was good that you, you touched on the ideas of kind of how we're defining volume and and frequency and intensity and stuff. Uh, I, I think for for kind of hypertrophy purposes, I think volume we can kind of especially for the way that we'll probably kind of end up talking about it in regards to programming, we can probably just basically look at it more as kind of the, the number of sets more than anything else. Cause as you mentioned, even though rep ranges obviously contribute to, to volume and the intensities that we work at, uh, you know, if, if someone can like bench a hundred kilos for 10 reps, even though that on, on paper in terms of the amount of work done is obviously going to be more than like 110 for six reps. Yeah. My argument's then going to be that, if those sets are taken to kind of similar effort levels, um, that the in terms of kind of the stimulus that we're getting from the volume, it's going to be pretty similar. So I think from kind of a, a fatigue management and stuff point of view that we'll kind of move on to, I think volume we can probably kind of look at as more so the the number of sets more than anything else. If if you'd agree with that, yeah. Um, and uh, again, that's actually important to remember because when it comes to programming, if you knew that the minimum volume you needed to achieve a stimulus was say five sets for a given muscle yeah. um or let's say six actually because that makes it easier and you it means you could do three sets in one session and three sets in another session within a microcycle um so that's why it's, that's really important to remember um uh, but again this is why it also just refers to total workload done but yeah. again this is how these different variables do affect it because you know as you rightly said to achieve that stimulus you know you know you could do loads of volume uh, but if you're not going anywhere near failure, then you're probably not. It's just junk volume. And that's also important to remember because that is still technically work done. It's just ineffective. Not giving you done. anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, because, again, research would very much suggest that you just need to get close to failure, not necessarily to failure, but you just need to get close to failure, very proximal to failure, in order to achieve a hypertrophic stimulus. Um, and that's important to remember. Uh, yeah, so I... Still can't remember if there wasn't a variable I was thinking about. I don't, maybe there isn't. Um, but yeah, so if we look at like these different variables and how they all, you know, how they are separately, but we also have to look at, again, how to kind of just touch on that, how they all interact together. Uh, again, easy example would be, you know, if you're going high frequency, then you want to go lower volume. If you're going higher, fre higher frequency, then you're probably going to want to go higher intensity um, and higher effort. At the same time, typically, if intensity is higher, then effort is automatically going to go up as well. I think that's a, a good idea because we can now kind of get into the ideas of what we can kind of 
what variables we can kind of focus our training around and how potentially we move other variables around whatever variables almost at the center of that. So obviously, you know, going back to the idea of, you know, mechanical tension being, you know, what seems to be the key driver of hypertrophy, according to the researchers, we can then get into the ideas of, you know, are we going to meet that demand for mechanical tension via volume and kind of the, you know, potential thresholds of volume. So things like maximal recoverable volume and minimum effective volume, um, obviously terms that were pretty much kind of coined and popularized by Mike Isretel, who I have a, a love hate relationship with. Um, and, and, or are we going to kind of look at intensity perhaps, uh, well, when I say ent- intensity, I'm also referring to kind of effort um, and quality volume. Are we going to potentially look at that as kind of more so the, the, the cornerstone of our training and as a means to kind of get in, you know, more effective volume and therefore more mechanical tension? Or are we going to look at frequency? And I think, I think for that, we can even kind of look a, a bit more at the, at the literature and what it says about these kinds of things without kind of delving too deeply into it. Because I think what, what a lot of people end up really debating on is the idea is a kind of volume versus intensity for, for hypertrophy because it, it's very gray in the literature at the moment. And this is where it comes back to the idea that we talked about in our Q&A about kind of knowing what to look for in the research and kind of methods and participants and stuff. Because again, it, you know, it may be that one piece of, of research says, you know, volume seems to be a key driver for hypertrophy. And some, uh, we'll, we'll link below all the all kind of some of the sources that we use and stuff because I, I think that's important. Um, but for example, you know, there, there, there's one study that, that suggests that training with two reps in reserve yields similar or even better results than training to failure. But if you read studies like this and you read that they were doing like 23 weekly sets for quads, then you realize, well, that completely skews this whole idea of training variables. Cause again, we need to be able to recover. So it's manipulating, you know, if you imagine kind of, you know, dials on, on a, on a guitar amp or, or on a, on a mixing desk or something, it's kind of flicking these to certain numbers to facilitate being able to recover and progress so that we can you know increase mechanical tension so when we get into this idea of you know what what's better if 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 everything of those was better then we could just turn it all up to 10 but that's not going to work because then we can't recover so it's like that idea of now trying to kind of balance and work these variables around each other to create a really good training system that allows us to progress so you know we, we can't in, uh, say that anything is better than the other because th- the research, although some pieces will kind of lean towards one side or another, there is so much going on in the, in the methods of these that we can't really come up with a, with a, a real conclusion because even then we look at, at things like one, one that, that I was thinking about yesterday randomly it was even things like rep speed and tempo and kind of the impacts that that has on, on tension and, and force production and everything. Um, these things are, are never even kind of controlled in a study. How many, how, many, how many studies say that, oh, you know, participants who did more volume or higher intensity were, you know, showed, showed better results. But if they were all doing different rep tempos and different this and different that that wasn't measured, then how, how many of these conclusions are actually even valid to consider? Um, so th- this is where things get really interesting. And I guess this is kind of maybe a, a good point to kind of get anecdotal on this kind of idea of kind of gray area. So this is where, you know, me and Ben, you know, we prefer training to failure and we think that that's a, a kind of better way to go. Um, yeah, it's, it's not to say it's not to say that training with lower 
intensity or effort or higher volume is you know inferior these these can be looked at more so as tools again you know what fits the job that we're we're trying to really accomplish and when we use said tools um but perhaps you know maybe maybe that kind of maybe from there you want to take it on to you know what are the benefits of training with higher intensity what are the potential benefits of training with higher volume what are the benefits of training with higher frequency and, and stuff like that because i mean even things like frequency for it there's been a huge debate for a long time about is high frequency better is low frequency mm-hmm. better and now yeah. the, re- the research even kind of suggests that actually frequency doesn't really matter and it's more so yeah, just about kind yeah. of distributing your, your volume yeah there was, a, there was a study you know that basically showed that training muscle twice per week versus once a week zero difference absolutely zero difference um so frequency did not matter as long as the volume was equated it did not matter which yeah so again it, it does depend what you're after um and that is important because when it comes to getting strong frequency is your friend undoubtedly because the element know, of skill gets, comes in as well yeah yeah, strength is a skill, right? The, the, there's no two ways about it. strength is a skill. So directly, maybe it doesn't make a difference to hypertrophy, but over time, indirectly, yeah. if two people, you've got you've got twins. I'm a twin, so let's say me, me and my twin. We, you know, I'm going to go with the higher frequency approach. He's going to go with the higher volume approach. Uh, it's it's a year again. We'll go for a year. It's been a year's time. Okay. Now over that year, he's trained a muscle group once. I've trained a muscle group twice. Okay. Now at the end of the year, um, per, per week, I am per week. Yeah. yeah, per week. Christ, not not once a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the year, um, I'm you know uh, let's take a, a squat. He can squat 100 kilograms. I can squat 150 kilograms. Okay. So, yes, we've done the same amount of total volume, but I've done a total amount because I've managed to get stronger by doing higher frequency. I've now done that same volume, but 1.5 times the load, what, mm-hmm. which is going to result in better hypertrophy yeah. over that long period of time. The guy who can squat more in generally is going to have the, the bigger yeah. legs. So, yeah, the same volume, mechanical tension. Yeah. yeah, the same volume, but with a lot more load. That's a lot more stress going through your body. Yeah. Again, stress is a, a, basically, you know, a stimulus is a stress. Yeah, stress yeah. plus recovery equals adaptation. Okay. So, yes, frequency might not make a direct difference on hypertrophy, but over time, it's certainly going to have an indirect effect on hypertrophy and again this is something that's not considered you know uh, again as i mentioned in that q a video i think it was the q a video the reason why studies can't show this is because the two biggest limiting factors to a study is time and money so there's no way they could do it a at least a controlled some sort of controlled study over a year they might be able to do like a long-term cohort study but they can't control control the confound variables so again it wouldn't be that that useful um so there's no way they could do a, a control study over a year because of time and money it would cost a fortune and it's a long time to control someone's life for essentially um so we, you wouldn't find that in the literature but just use your common sense and again anecdotally speaking the person who's lifting more for the same volume is going to have better hypertrophic response. Yeah, yeah. So sure. frequency 
is definitely your friend. Frequency is definitely useful. Now, caveat is that, you know, if you're going to do that, it's going to require you to have to train harder, uh, so more effort and a higher intensity as well. Um, for the reason that being, you know, there is still a minimum volume you want to achieve in a given session. Uh, I was going to get to this, yeah. yeah. So if you're not achieving that minimum volume, then you're not going to achieve anything. Um, so that is really, really important to keep in mind. Um, so because of that effort and intensity has to go up, but you know, you have to learn how to train hard first, maybe before you go into this higher frequency system, because if you can't train hard, if you can't take it there, so to speak, you're not going to get anything out of it. Mm -hmm. um, but so this is where we can now refer back to the different um, training stimuluses. So to learn to train hard requires quality execution because again, poor execution is going to decrease the tension. It's going to decrease the tension where you want it. Um, so if we look at like a neurological stimulus, again, what did I say that, you know, that's about learning good execution, proper movement patterns. If we learn proper movement patterns, then the, basically when the load's going to go through the muscle that we want. Okay. So if we start a, a, a training phase by learning these proper movement patterns first, now we've got the good form. Again, form is more likely to break down as you get closer to failure. So if we can establish good form first, that means it's you know, more likely to stay when you get close to failure, which means more tension, also better injury prevention. Again, referring mm -hmm. back to that whole thing. Yep. Um, so again, you know, as, as you're, uh, you've learned the good form first, you've learned the problem, you've ingrained those problem movement patterns first. Okay, now you've got the, that down. Now you start to learn to train hard and add a bit of load to the bar, okay? Um, so this is where you, you learn the, the skill of effort. You're really taking it there, really being able to judge where you're at in a given set. Now, again, a bit of a side note, this is where you could make the argument for RIR or reps and reserve being poor because most people can't judge how many reps and reserve they actually have. Mm -hmm. So again, learning that skill first is going to be quite important. So you learn effort, you learn how to take, you actually learn what your failure point is. So now you've got good movement patterns. So you get, you know, the tension where you want it. Uh, now you've got, you've learned effort. So you learn how to take it there. Okay, now you can go for a higher frequency approach because you know you can create the stimulus and reach the minimum volume needed to be able to do that and get stronger over time. Okay, yeah. so that's where having a bit of patience, thinking about the long-term, what you want to achieve long-term is going to be really important. And that's also just how proper periodization or programming should work as well. Yeah, that's that, that was really good. Uh, and I think from from there, I think I actually know exactly where I want to take this now. I think therefore we can actually now consider how we're actually going to kind of work our training around these variables, kind of bearing in, in, in mind things even kind of more long term, because obviously with this kind of being the, the fundamentals of, of training, like let, let's let's assume that people listening to this maybe are not kind of so far down their journey where they've got like a, a, a lot of muscle on their frame. Perhaps now we can kind of consider with all that being, you know, considered uh, how, how can we, you know, structure our training now, particularly if you are a little newer to these things and you have yet to really control these things to, the, to a point where you put a decent amount of muscle on your frame and are decently strong. So, you know, as we said in, in the beginning, well, for starters, let's go back to the idea of mechanical tension, you know, when you're not that heavily muscled, when you're not that strong, you're obviously not going to need that much mechanical tension 
to you know stimulate the, the adaptations you're looking for it's a very novel stimulus so that that's where things like you know we can have our volume threshold very low we'll have a very low minimum effective volume or mev mm-hmm. so this is again where now we can consider exactly what you just touched on ben with the ideas of kind of ingraining good movement patterns and kind of uh, you know, good execution and then using once we kind of got all that out of the way, then learning to actually get what we want from a set and kind of looking at the amount of effort we put in and training to failure. Again, bearing in mind that we don't need much volume at all at this point in our in our journey. And we can kind of get what we want in terms of stimulus from a very small amount, provided that that amount is good quality. And then with that being said, with that amount being so small, we can recover decently quickly to kind of go for, you know, a decent amount of frequency. So this is where we can now look into things like training splits and how this may kind of change down the line because training splits, uh, a lot of people make a huge deal about this when in reality, it is simply just how we kind of look at your training throughout a, a, a smaller period of time, like a week to manage volume and frequency. That's literally all it is. Whether we want to go for a bro split you know, which is obviously going to entail more volume per muscle per session and obviously lesser frequency because we need more time to recover from that. Or if we look at something like full body splits, which are obviously very frequent in terms of when we hit each muscle group, but very low volume to compensate and allow us to recover. So if we consider when we're kind of earlier on in our journey, you know, we, we can really reap the benefits in terms of, you know, getting stronger and in terms of, you know, providing our stimulus more often when we're looking at something like a more frequent training split, like, like a full body. Um, I mean, and, and this, this is even hilarious because as you actually get further on into your training, you're only going to learn how to train harder and harder and actually demand more effort. Mm -hmm. So even though you may think, yeah, I'm too, I'm too advanced for something like full body. Now there is a pretty solid chance that you're not, if you program everything Mm -hmm. correct. Cause I mean, us now, Ben, we, we still very much, uh, 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 use ourselves more of an upper lower split, even though we've got an okay, you particularly (laughs) have a, a pretty solid amount of muscle on your frame. Um, so people, people could sometimes ask us, you know, why don't, why don't you go push pull legs or yeah, bro split. For us, we're, we're still able to kind of reap the benefits in terms of the, these ratios of intensity, volume, frequency mm-hmm. from something like an upper-lower split for us. You know, it's, it's kind yeah. of the way these ratios are managed through our training splits. So it's really training to your needs and considering these kind of variables and how these are worked around in your, in your training. Um, you know, it's easy, it's easy to see your favorite bodybuilder on YouTube say, okay, uh, chest day or you know training or your favorite like influencer saying um okay i'm doing i'm doing my my glutes four times a week or something like yeah that's cool but the importance is training to your needs and mm-hmm. thus how we manage the variables around what's actually going to facilitate your goal with your kind of you know your minimum and effective volume and maximum recoverable volume your your strength level so uh, uh, well we're, we're draining on and on now so I think, I think that's a, a good way to kind of wrap up the idea of kind of training variables and training to your needs yeah. and just a, a, I, a broader look at these variables. Yeah. So I, I just want to put one thing out there. Um, I want people watching, I want you to pause the video right now or after I've said this. I want you to guess. Guess how many sets I do for a given exercise. <laughs> pause the video and just guess. Okay. 
Comment below. Right. I hope, yeah, comment below. <laughs> comment below. I, I, I hope you've guessed, right? I hope you've commented. Um, the answer is one. One set per given exercise. Why? Because I've learned this skill of, first of all, good, good movement patterns, followed by you know, getting strong and learning the right you know, effort or being able to take it there. So combine that all together and I can achieve what I need to achieve within one set. One set, that's it. Um, now that might not work directly for you, but the main point is you'll, you'll find that as you get better at these certain variables, like say, you know, um, being able to take it there, you know, the amount of effort you can use, as you get better at that, you'll find that you just do need less volume to get the job done. And again, that's when then it starts to tie. And like you said, you can recover from that a lot easier. So you can repeat this cycle a lot more often. Uh, if you do it more often, again, frequency is your friend. You're going to get stronger faster. So being able to do this, just it just makes perfect sense. Um, again, you might need a little bit more volume. Um, I just know for me, I can get a wave just doing one set. Uh, but I do always get asked um, uh, by a lot of people, you know, why are you needing one set? And I tell them it's because I can, I can achieve what I need to achieve in one set. And they're like, oh, can I do that? And I'm like, well, I kind of, you know, I've seen you train. You know, you, you don't even go close to where you need to go to be able to do one set. It's no wonder you have to do like five sets for a given exercise and like 10 different exercises in one session. Um, so I just want that to really drive home this message of, you know, these variables very much interact and influence each other. But if you can nail the right variables, you'll find that actually you can get more out of it because, again, you can create this stress, but you can also recover better, which means you have this opportunity to create this stress again sooner, recover better, stress plus recovery equals adaptation. Doing that more often, more often you get you know, better adaptation in the long run. So, again, how these variables influence and interact with each other is just quite important to know. But the main thing is you've got to learn to train hard. Oh, yeah. everything you've just got to learn to train hard. And there, there are two final points. I, I like. I swear we'll move on in a minute, but <laughs> there, there are two final points I want to kind of get across from that. So number one, in terms of your one set approach to, to a lot of exercises, I think that will then beg a lot of questions from people about, well, if you're just doing one set, then, you know, what, what about what you guys kind of preach about, you know, what, well, you know, a lot of the UK scene at the moment likes the idea of kind of top and back offset approach. And, you know, how, how, how do you kind of get different types of work in? And this is where the whole idea of longer term periodization comes in. Because I know, I know you, Ben, this is when you'll kind of go through different phases of your training, where you mm -hmm. will do kind of higher rep stuff, high, lower rep stuff. And this is where the idea of kind of longer term periodization will come in, not necessarily trying to yeah. do trying to you know achieve all these different stimuli in one session with kind of lower rep work and higher rep work that is where the kind mm -hmm. of long-term periodization yeah. comes into play yeah which particularly as you get more advanced may be a bit more relevant to yeah uh, and then the final kind of thing that i want to touch on there is the idea that you know even though potentially as we get more advanced and our kind of mev will go up if we can actually learn to get more and more in terms of you know quality volume out of the work that we do then even though that MEV is going up, we can just learn to meet that volume threshold by more effective volume. And therefore mm -hmm. the total amount that we, of work that we do may seem stupidly low, but we're just achieving 
our volume requirements using very effective volume that isn't going to just eat into our recovery for no reason. Yeah. And more so just doing work, which is stimulating what we want and going after mm -hmm. that outcome. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I, that's, uh, yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could have a point to add there, but it's not that necessary. So we'll just, uh, we'll move on. We'll move on. Um, next, I think it's probably good to look at kind of very, very basic uh, kind of mechanical considerations for training. Uh, this is something we'll touch on a lot more in the advanced in the advanced training that we'll do. Yeah. Because, um, you know, at the end of the day, this is meant to be fundamental. So we don't want to scare you off with with uh, physics. But uh, physics is a very important component to training, especially when it comes to hypertrophy, because it links very much into that idea of mechanical tension and the demands that we're placing on certain muscles. So uh, okay. this is where the idea of exercise selection comes in. And obviously, you know, again, not looking at things from more of a powerlifting point of view, but from a bodybuilding point of view, we don't have kind of really any restrictions on what exercises we can do uh, to achieve this outcome because you know we're not after kind of sport specific exercises like something like powerlifting or strongman so this is where the idea of mechanics comes into play very importantly because uh, if we're looking at something that uh, i think the squat's a very easy example to go after uh, can squats build big legs yes 100 percent. if you if you you know again mechanical tension if we're squatting 100 kilos and then you know time down the line we're squatting 200 kilos Yes, that's more mechanical tension on those muscle groups. We're going to have bigger legs. But with that being said, are there mechanical considerations to be made, especially uh, again from kind of learning, you know, movement patterns and kind of exercises which may impact that. Uh, and then kind of the idea of mechanical, you know, different positions, potentially placing tension on different muscle groups, just kind of according to, you know, basic physics. So this is where we can look at things like, is it worth programming something like a hack squat as opposed to a barbell back squat and kind of the ideas of moment arms to the knee and stuff. So uh, I don't know if you perhaps just want to kind of mention something kind of briefly without going too in depth on biomechanics. Um, There's something I really want to mention. <laughs> go, go, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so the first thing you need to understand is, yeah, there's something that influences all training it uh, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how you train, it influences all training. It's influencing me right now, it's influencing Kev right now. It's called gravity, <laughs> right? <laughs> gravity, okay? That's what creates the load, gravity. That's the force that's acting upon you, okay? So gravity works this way, works down, okay? That, very important to remember, very important to remember. This is the basics. This really is the basis. Because gravity works down, it means whatever directly is opposing that is going to be doing the work. So whatever is going this way, up, whatever is on top, you could say. So this is where you get into the gym and you see some horrendous exercises. Take, take this exercise where you've got a dumbbell and you're going out like this. You're trying to train your rotator cuff, right? You're trying to warm it up. So rotator cuff goes this way, back and forth this way, right? That's what you're trying to do with this rotation around like this, okay? Yeah. But gravity is going this way. So how is this directly opposing gravity? It's not. But what it is directly opposing gravity is your bicep holding it like this and your shoulder no. or your front delt, not your rotator cuff. So that's just an example. But that's so clear. It needs to be said straight away is that gravity is what is directly influencing your training. Yeah. And it goes down. So you need to directly oppose that force. That's the most basic fundamental thing you need to understand before yeah. anything else 100%. and that yeah yeah and that can should influence your exercise selection 
based on that knowledge. You know, um, the difference between an incline and a flat bench press. Uh, you know, to bias the other chest. If the other chest is not as what is not what's directly opposing the gravity, then you're not going to be training other chest, or you're not going to be biasing other chest. Of course, the result is going to be a little bit because you know yeah. it's still part of the chest. But you're not going to be biasing the chest. So, but again, by creating this incline, you're now rather than your lower chest being on top, you're now creating this other chest being on top. So that's what's directly opposing. So again, just small little things to consider. But the easiest way to remember is that what is on top or what is directly opposing gravity. That's that's the key thing you have to remember before yeah. we talk about anything else. Yeah, it, well, for, uh, I'll just kind of preface this by saying if you studied A-level maths or physics, then you'll get exactly where we're, where we're coming from in regards to kind of all the, all the mechanic stuff and like moment arms and, and, and all that good stuff. I think, I think biomechanics and functional anatomy is probably kind of our favorite part of all this. So, yeah. so we can Obviously talk about I like the physiology as well, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we can, we, this is stuff we can talk about for hours. So again, th this is stuff we'll touch more so on in the advanced segment and who knows, maybe even in the future, we'll do like a whole episode on biomechanics and stuff. Cause I think that's stuff we can really kind of get into nice and deep. Um, but for now, the main kind of point is exercise selection is hugely dependent on mechanics. And obviously exercise selection is going to be a huge, is going to play a huge role in kind of the outcome of your training. So again, consider, you know, the, the idea of directions of force, consider things like, moment arms consider how that applies obviously with the anatomical considerations of your body you know whether you're whether we're considering you know the, the where the force is coming from in in relation to kind of like booty band exercises and stuff like that or as ben rightly mentioned when we're kind of consideration when we're considering kind of different portions of the pec and where the resistance is coming from in relation to kind of you know the anatomy of the of the pec so uh, we won't go too too deep into this, but it is worth kind of just getting out of the way. Please, please, please consider mechanics. Let this be reflected in your exercise selection because we don't have to do any exercise for hypertrophy. You know, there, there are no must-do exercises. So, you know, we can consider the, these kind of wider topics. Um, this mm -hmm. isn't to say that the basics aren't good. This isn't trying to reinvent the wheel. This is simply saying, how can we make a few things a little better? You know, in, it, training enjoyment is still a huge part of it. I still squat, even though it might not necessarily be the most optimal movement for, for quad development. Um, so this is where we, again, we kind of get into the idea of balancing these certain variables and considerations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, exercise, again, let's not go too deep into it, but exercise selection is actually also going to be influenced, uh, not just by, you know, the mechanics, but also what you're trying to achieve. So again, this actually refers back to the different stimuluses. So your exercise selection yeah, 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 yeah. Good one, could good very one. much be uh, influenced again by, are you trying to achieve a neurological stimulus, a hypertrophic stimulus or metabolic stimulus? Um, again, for example, like a metabolic stimulus, let's take the hamstrings, for example. You might want to train the, uh, achieve a metabolic stimulus. And so you might want to create a superset, which basically, Again, how you program that superset could depend on a couple of different things, but basically the idea is just to create a lot of tension to achieve that metabolic stimulus. So you might want to go from, let's say, a lying hamstring curl to a seated hamstring curl. Um, and that's what you've, you've chosen that exercise selection because of what you're trying to achieve. That was why you've chosen it. And again, that's really, really simple. Hopefully that's a really simple way of putting it. It's literally you've chosen to go from a lying to a seated because you want to achieve a lot of tension in one go. 
obviously once you failed in the lying you, you still got a bit of uh, strength like that you still got a bit of strength length left in that sort of that length position length, so you're going to yeah, go to a seated yeah. so you can get you, you can still you know fatigue where it's still not fatigued essentially um and that's why you've chosen that exercise selection so there is a again it's i think one really key thing to take away from all of this is how there's no one factor that decides everything it is a multitude of factors how they all work separately but also how they work together and that's sort of how influences your program as a whole but then also your exercise selection um and then obviously you know the variables as we said like you know volume frequency and etc cetera, etc cetera. so there is a lot to consider but again if you just really take a step back and mostly just ask yourself what you're trying to achieve that's when you can start to go okay to get there i need to consider this i need to consider that and you consider this as well and then that's how i get there and again this is just referring back to the whole specificity of training and the said principle so again i hope this all really ties in together so you can start to understand how to build your own program and how to build your own training session as well yeah no nah, good good stuff uh, I, I think that kind of covers a a, a good chunk of, uh, of everything that we've kind of talked about so far. Uh, so I think with, with us already kind of running on, uh, I think around 50 minutes now, I think that leaves us time for maybe one more little thing. And I think this is a good one to, to wrap things up on because this is now really the, with all those things kind of being considered now, this is what we really want to be focusing on in our training and what we are actually trying to use all of the variables mentioned to kind of achieve for hypertrophy. So what we are looking to achieve by manipulating our volume, our intensity, our frequency, by choosing more appropriate exercises is progressive overload. And this is what lies at the core of our training for hypertrophy. Because again, going back to the idea of mechanisms of hypertrophy, mechanical tension is key. And therefore we understand that more mechanical tension will lead to more hypertrophy and the best way to do that is obviously progressive overload to achieve more mechanical tension yeah. um, but this is where things get a little interesting because it's not quite as simple as more load on the bar and yeah. more reps there are Can I... perhaps, perhaps it's worth kind of quickly disclaiming what progressive overload isn't and then instead yeah. about the different avenues that we can progress our training mm -hmm. to, to facilitate progressive overload yeah, so I really want to say that progressive overload is the training version of, of psycho, of carries and carries out or energy balance in nutrition. It is so misunderstood in terms of what actually influences it and all the different variables that affect it that, it, yeah, we need to make it clear. So progressive overload is it's kind of in the name. It is essentially a progression of some form. But that is really important because, again, let's take the volume example. If last week you did two sets and this week you do three sets, that isn't progressive overload. Why? That's the key thing. Ask yourself why. Well, again, let's pause the video here and let's type in the comments. Why do you think it's not progressive overload? Okay, hope you've typed something. Hope you've got it right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's not progressive overload because if you've added a set, how do you know you couldn't have done that set? The previous week you don't you probably could have to be honest you probably could have so adding a set isn't progressive overload because you probably could have done that you haven't done something new you probably just you could have done that so you're already 
uh, you've already you've already got the adaptation you need to be able to do that set. You just didn't do it last week. Mm-hmm. Now, if you added that set, so now you're on three sets um, because you need to build the volume for whatever reason. And then the following week, you stay on three sets. But on that third set, you got eight reps. And then the following week, on that third set, you got nine reps. That is progressive overload because you've now done something you previously couldn't do. So the best way to look at progressive overload is it's progression, but it's progression of doing something that you previously could not do. Not something that you could just didn't do, but something that you could not do. And that's the key difference. Um, and again, that's just really important to remember when it comes to progressive overload. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I think one thing, one issue that I see in something like uh, reps and reserve programming is kind of the idea of having many more reps and reserve kind of towards the start of, of a mesocycle and then kind of reducing your reps and reserve as you go along. And therefore, you, you, you see maybe some, someone has a bad session and they progress on paper, but they also kind of ended up having many less reps and reserve. And it's kind of that, that same idea of, but how do you know you couldn't do that last time this time you're just having a bad day so you put in a bit more effort to to kind of achieve what you maybe already could have done last time so yeah. things things like adding volume you know and and kind of adding you know in intensity or effort to a degree can they be progressive overload yes but the obviously that's where the the whole definition comes in of do things that you haven't done before you know yeah if be adding weight that you haven't done before be adding those reps that you couldn't add last week and that this is this is another reason why i think training to fail of hypertrophy is a good way to go because it gives you a much more accurate representation of what you're actually capable of so the progression mm-hmm. is just much more easily measurable um, yeah but there are actually uh, other ways that we consider kind of progressing our training kind of beyond um just adding load and, and reps to the bar because there are again going back to the idea of perhaps more kind of metabolic or neuromuscular stimuli uh, there are other adaptations that we can kind of seek from doing things that, that we haven't done before yeah so two things i want to address there first again this is why the definition of volume is actually really important because if we look at volume as a set um, again then we can't really relate it that much to progressive overload but if we look at it as the number of reps performed in relation to failure we can then consider it as progressive overload. So that's really important. Second thing is that, yes, I would 100% agree that taking it to failure makes it so much easier to judge if um, to judge if you're progressing or not. But there is still a caveat to that, and uh, that is looking, again, at recovery. Because if you haven't recovered properly or you've slept really poorly for the past week, normally a day actually wouldn't make it, like one night's bad sleep wouldn't make a difference to train performance typically. Uh, it might, but typically it doesn't actually. Yeah. But if you slept really badly for the previous week, so you, it's been a week between certain sessions and you slept really badly for that week, come into the session, well, it's not that, you know, you haven't necessarily, I mean, you haven't progressed, but the reason you haven't progressed is because recovery hasn't been there. Um, and so you've you've taken to failure on a really good day because you just felt great. You take it to failure and the next day you come in, it's a really bad day. It's not necessarily what you're capable of. It's just because of the situation that you're in mm-hmm. so it does make it easier to judge but failure. but there is always caveats to that and that's why uh, what that's why taking recovery seriously is is really important um because again it just helps with that standardization um but um what was the question you asked again because i completely forgot oh, uh, well uh, uh, it was uh, i think the kind of the final thing to, to touch on is potentially kind of 
other ways that we could view progressive overload. And I, actually, I'll, I'll get started on this one because I think one way that we can instantly link a couple of things back is even just things like progressing on form and, and execution. Because, uh, I mean, going, going back to firstly the idea of mechanics, you know, if we're executing a movement in a way over time that leads itself to, you know, mechanically challenging the target muscles more, then that in itself can be viewed as a form of progressive overload, which is why, you know, execution is very important, especially yeah. when considering the, the mechanics of it, because, you know, a, a lot of people maybe won't feel, you know, the best on a certain day, but if you can therefore, you know, at least try to match the reps that you've got and just try to, you know, execute that movement a little better, uh, then we can we can still view that as progression, even if the, the logbook numbers don't necessarily dictate that. Yeah. And kind of as a, a, a last little addition to that, then we can even kind of look look at things, you know, f from kind of even like eccentric control and tempo and kind of the the impact of these on, you know, are we providing the muscle with more mechanical tension through kind of, you know, longer tempos? Obviously, we understand that during the eccentric portion of the rep, more muscle damage occurs. Um, so yeah, there are other ways to kind yeah. of view progression in training. And this, but this is why we do have to be really careful with the the definition of progressive overload because yes, it creates more mechanical tension, um, and that is obviously again a key driver of hypertrophy. But we have to still understand if you slow down your reps, again, you still have to understand could you previously do that or not. And that's still important to remember yeah, is yeah. that, yes, it, this is where it does become, uh, again, you, you're walking it on, on a thin line here where for certain, you could potentially, if you have more control, that could be progressive overload. But you just have to understand, you know, did you have that control previously and you just, for whatever reason, weren't using that control? Maybe you're just doing the reps a bit faster. That's where you got a question. Normally, you can kind of tell because, to be honest, I, was, I would actually say that the best way to tell, I know for me personally, is if the weight, say you're squatting, if the weight feels lighter on your back, it's actually a really good sign that you have more control of it because you've adapted to it. Uh, yeah. And now and now you can put more mechanical tension through a given muscle mm -hmm. and therefore you, you achieve progressive overload. But... Again, in moments if you just in moments if you just weren't paying that much attention that day and you just went a little bit faster, and then the next time you just were a bit more switched on and you just controlled a bit more, that wouldn't really be progressive yeah. overload. So yeah. th that things like tempo and control walk a very thin line as yeah. to whether they actually are progressive overload or not. True, true. Um, so I, again, that's just important to remember. But what I will say, and again, this this for me, I feel very strongly about this is that this is where things should be way more standardized in the first place. This is where, again, good programming of teaching your body to move in the right way, the right movement patterns in the first place is really important because then you have to worry less about whether something like control or tempo is affecting progressive level or not because you've already got ingrained the right control, the right movement patterns with the right speed, right tempo. Again, tempo is a, 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 another area which you go down because, again, things like tempo can affect the stimulus you're achieving. So yeah, yeah. tempo could, you could be same, same number of reps, but with a different tempo, you could either be achieving a neurological stimulus, a hypertrophic, hypertrophic stimulus or a metabolic stimulus. You know, if you're doing five second eccentrics with a two second hold in the stretch position with like a 
a, a one second um, concentrate and one second hold in the contract position. That's going to be highly metabolic, but strip that all back to a one, 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 and that's going to be way more hypertrophy. So uh, again, that, that's where this another variable, which is tempo can start to influence the actual outcome that you're getting because you're giving yourself a different stimulus, same exercise, same number of reps, different stimulus. Um, and again, that's just getting down the rabbit hole of things, but I just, it just, without trying to make everything sound too complicated, it's just trying to really give you this idea of how many different factors can influence your actual training because it's a lot. It is a lot, but once you start to understand the basics and again, it just, I just think it becomes so much easier when you really understand what you're trying to achieve because then you can work backwards from that and you can understand how to get there. So you don't need to worry so much about how these all these factors influence your training or anything like that, because as long as you know what you're trying to achieve, you know what you need to do. And again, it just becomes a lot simpler from there. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think that's a, a pretty good uh, wrap-up. So we, we're going to leave it there maybe for this one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there, are some, there, there are plenty of rabbit holes that we'll explore when we do more more. Kind yeah. Of, uh, episodes on on training related stuff in the in the future that that we, well we could talk about this stuff for ages but there are definitely some cool things that, that people would probably do do well to to learn and apply to their training especially if they are a little more advanced down the line uh, but hopefully this kind of sh- has shown you know how we can kind of look at what we're trying to achieve as, as you said you know outcome of training how we're achieving that and then in the middle of this we kind of sandwiched all the things that we can look at to kind of facilitate yeah. doing that most efficiently and- yeah, so the one thing I want to point out is the reason why everything we've talked about might seem a lot or might seem even confusing or just too much to, you might think, oh, crap, I've got so much to think about, is because we've been very general and non-specific. If you start to get specific, that's when it's so much easier to understand. Again, that's why specificity and understand what you're trying to achieve is makes things easier because, again, it's not like you have all this different information around you where you have to go, we have to think about it all. You just go, okay, I'm trying to achieve a hypertrophy stimulus. So I want good form and I want to get stronger over time. And I want a tempo where it's not going to create so much lactic acid that I, I stop. I can't keep going with the, the, the set. And again, that just becomes so much simpler. So we've been very generic and that's just important to remember. Specificity makes things, actually does make things simpler and it helps yeah. you achieve your goal. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. We'll, we'll leave it at that one then. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening again. We've had some yeah. great kind of responses from, from the kind of first episode that we did and stuff. Yeah. So we hope you've enjoyed this one as well. Make sure yeah. to, to like, follow, subscribe on whatever kind of medium you're listening on. Yes, Share please. it if you enjoyed. Uh, this could be very useful information for kind of any of your mates and stuff. So be sure yeah. to share. Leave us some uh, feedback as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, this is this is kind of our first attempt at kind of a more educational episode. Yeah. So let exactly. us know what you thought and if you enjoyed. And uh, we'll, we'll see you in the next one. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you for listening.